Morgan Elliott from IND Hemp. What a pleasure it is to have you with us today on Hemp Barons. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Joy. I really appreciate it. We're happy to be on. Well, goodness knows IND is just making such tremendous waves. Uh, we speak, speak of you very often uh, here on Hemp Barons because, of course, we are asking farmers to grow a crop for which there is very little infrastructure. We're asking entrepreneurs to invest in infrastructure for which there is not very much crop. And of course, we're not talking about hemp extract varieties here when we're talking about IND. We're talking about oil, seed, and fiber varieties. And so for folks to come in and create these infrastructure, these processing facilities for the most nutrient-dense seed on the planet and the longest, strongest, most valuable fiber or cellulose, plant cellulose um, on the planet, it's everything because we cannot feed these materials into the manufacturing stream and into the stream of commerce unless we're making the raw materials. In comes IND Hemp in Montana. Please first tell us how your family came to hemp. Uh, well, yeah, thanks, Joy. I really appreciate having um, the opportunity to be on here. And you always say such nice things about our company and appreciate that a lot. So my dad and I got started in, in hemp um, back in 2018. We started a family-owned business. It's my dad and I and then his wife, Julie. And we really have a heart for the farmer. And uh, we're a mission-driven company. And so at that time, I was working for ADM. And um, you know, my dad's been in hemp since 2014. And I always kind of thought he was you know, the crazy hemp guy and, and never really gave him much more thought than that. And I always wanted to work with him, but uh, it was a, closer to the end of 2018 when I was like, all right, I, th I think I can give this a shot. Um, my degree's in, in chemical engineering. And so I said, I don't really know anything about hemp, but I, I can build you a facility. And and that really kind of kicked us off. And so with our, uh, our relationships with farmers and um, the infrastructure that's here in Montana, we saw a lot of people wanting to grow it and a lot of people wanting to consume it or use it. But, you know, like you talked about, not a lot of processors in the middle to connecting those two streams. And so that's where we found our niche. We started out with an oilseed facility and uh, what started off pretty, you know, small, maybe processing 100, maybe 200 acres. We realized that if we wanted to really do what we were talking about, we wanted to make the impact with jobs and acreage and rotation op options that these growers could could take seriously, we needed something that was uh, able to process thousands of acres. Um, this is Big Sky Montana, and and we have lots of our growers are managing anywhere from five to twenty five thousand acres, and so you got to be up in the thousands to even hit their radar. Um, and so our oilseed facility, we started working on construction at the end of twenty nineteen and uh, fired up first of 2020, right before the pandemic shut everything down. Um, but that was okay. We, we kind of hit pause and reevaluated and, and added some equipment, um, started dabbling in fiber a little bit, and uh, just continued to, to understand the industry and the needs and getting to really work on our relationships with our farmers, um, recognize that there was just such a, a lack of, uh, of knowledge base and data points for varieties of what works, what um, agronomy practices we needed to do. And so we just used 2020 as like a year to try and, and try and really work on those things. It's a never ending process. And so we'll always have that. But um, yeah, hemp's been a fantastic industry for us. You know, I, I can't say that I've, I'm uh, someone that has been involved in hemp for a really long time, but I feel super blessed and um, fortunate to be a part of the industry now because on so many levels, we all really can align um, on mission driven, whether that's the mission to, to affect climate change, it's a mission to feed the hungry people 
um, you know, a mission to create jobs. Like there's so many things that HIB can just uh, bring us all onto the same playing field. And so it's been a, a really great honor to be a part of this. So. Well, goodness knows we're so happy that the Elliott family got involved in hemp um, to see with my own eyes uh, after that fantastic IND Montana Summer Summit, uh, IND Hemp Montana Summer Summit that you had, but to see with my own eyes um, this fiber processing facility in the United States. I have been blessed to see them in other parts of the world, uh, but not here in the United States and certainly nothing to the incredible scale uh, that IND has built, again, for the longest, strongest fiber in the world, which we love after it's harvested and processed. But getting that longest, strongest stock in the world uh, harvested and processed is a whole nother thing. And you're also growing the hemp. Can you talk to us about not just having the, the infrastructure and having built these facilities, which is just going to create such an economy? You're already employing, I believe, 23 people so far at IND Hemp. So job creation, economic stability, stability for the farmer, um, creating better, more nutritious, stronger products. And when we talk about that fiber, we're talking, of course, paper, textiles, building materials, biocomposites and resins, uh, industrial sealants and coatings, of course, for the, for the seed itself, but uh, energy, fuel, pellets, charcoal, nanotechnology, somebody stop me. So we're doing all of these things. Um, this, is, this is going to be facilitated through IND facilities, but you're also growing the crop itself. Can you speak to us about the decision to not just process, but grow? Yeah. So uh, I, I guess I failed to mention, you know, my dad has a background in environmental work and that's where he got his start in hemp was uh, your dad, the crazy hemp guy, yeah. you mean? Yeah, that crazy guy. <laughs> and he likes to tell people he's an engineer, but I'll put it on the record. <laughs> he's not an engineer, but he's a very smart person. And he does, he has a background actually in, in geology. Um, but he had access um, and owns a, an old refinery. And so he, he got into hemp because he looked at it for the phytoremediation um, properties and the ability to clean up, you know, super fun sites. And so that's why he started growing it and started working with local growers and, you know, threw in a couple acres here and there. And then it just kind of snowballed from there because it's great if we can grow it, but no one's going to grow it if we have nowhere to process it. And so again, brought us back to that same, you know, crux of the equation that someone needed to figure out how to process this. But, you know, one of the very first hires that we brought onto the team, um, we're a very lean team and we continue to try and work everyone to death, right? You know, wearing as many hats as possible. But one of the first people we recognized that like, hey, we need an expert in this and we need someone who can really focus was an agronomist. And and I don't know if you've had a chance to talk with our graduate student, Ben Brimlow, but just an amazing, amazing, yeah, super great young guy, um, very passionate um, about the crop and the opportunities and regenerative agriculture and, and different ways to incorporate hemp into rotations. And he works really hard to find solutions for our growers that are like here in our front door, right? That they're they're seeing um, record drought years, record grasshopper pressure, you know, the heat units we've seen this past summer. And so he's, you know, full-time busy, dedicated to supporting those guys and understanding our plant and, and how to make it profitable for them, how to make it work into their existing operations. And then that's so critical, you know, that's its own um, real sector in the industry that, you know, continues to need extensive research and support and funding um, because we've had, you know, you know, almost 100 years of prohibition to keep us from studying and understanding this crop. And so when we're trying to compete with corn and soy and wheat 
and barley and all these other crops that are just so well funded and so well researched, of course, we're going to have issues when it comes to yields. Of course, we're going to have issues with pest management and, you know, God forbid, disease management, but things like that. Um, and these other countries who, who have not been quite as shackled, let's say Canada, who's legalized in 98, not necessarily particularly helpful. Different climate, different soil, different photo period. We're starting from ground one uh, or ground zero every every sort of region on the planet where the plant, the hemp crop, is reemerging and reestablishing itself. Yeah, and it's it's crazy how much how many variables like this crop in general not not just what you're harvesting it for, right? It's it's one of the most unique plants, and and we see in in the cannabinoid industry the fiber and grain. That's unique in itself, but then, like you talk about, where what latitude you're on, and and what um, different you know environmental changes are going to affect the organic compounds that are going to show up in your plant, and the strength of your plant, and these characteristics we see in the oil seed of you know fiber and um, fat and protein and things like that. So, so much information still needs to be um, looked into and, and understanding. Honestly, the biggest thing for us, though, it's it's pretty simple. It's like guys got to make it work with their existing infrastructure. They got to make money at it. And um, and, it, and they have to see the payback of why you incorporate it as a rotation crop. They need to see the, the benefits of the next harvest they get off of that field. They need to see better penetration of moisture and all these things, which fortunately hemp does that. You know, I don't I don't have to sell them on it. They, it does it on its own. It's a really unique and, and beautiful crop that does do that soil health and remediation that we look for. Um, but that all those other variables that we talk about that are really interesting and, and definitely are coming, we first have to have guys buy into it and it has to make economic sense for them. So. A hundred percent. And I I just uh, interviewed, by the way, Weston Merrill, the Montana Department of Agriculture Marketing Officer, who I was fortunate enough to meet during this just tremendous summit, again, that you folks held in Fort Benton last month. And of course, same thing, same stuff, same message. And it's really the message for all farmers, for all rural communities. This is not unique to Fort Benton or Montana, of course. What's unique is that it's happening in yeah. Fort Benton and Montana. And that's what's awesome and, and what we want to move forward here. So not only are you blessed that you folks have procured and retained uh, for some time now, and he is quite happy in his home, Ben Brimlow, that uh, fantastic uh, agronomist, but you've building quite a team here. Uh, Greg Nieko, of course, I just think is phenomenal and have, have worked with Greg here in the state of Washington. And I know that he uh, now has a home by you folks in Fort Benton. You've also are working with Trey Riddle, who to me is just an absolute, you know, rock star in the emerging hemp fiber industries. Uh, just a tremendous team that you're building there. And again, 23 employees, anything else that you want to share about the team that you're building or about what it means to IND to take a teeny tiny town like Fort Benton and add 23 jobs to it? Yeah, I will say we actually started two more employees this past week. So I think we're um, almost up to 26, which is exciting. Wow. Okay. I was Weston, Weston, Weston could only keep up so far. <laughs> well, I will, I will say before I forget, you know, Weston is just one part of the Department of Agriculture that I really need to give a shout out to because Montana has really been a leader in um, not only their policy and their support. You know, Weston just came to a trade show with us this past week in Raleigh um, and showed support not only for our company, but other um, hemp businesses in the state of Montana. So they've just been so progressive and forward thinking. Um, they've come out to see our facility multiple times. 
Um, they're working with us on on hot crop hot crop testing and, and when that um, when that can happen. You know, we're looking at doing some of our testing for fiber um, once it's in the windrow, which I think is a fantastic idea. You know, we're we're worried about these fiber crops going hot because they do. Their genetics a lot of times are, are well above that one percent. And um, but if we're not harvesting it, you know, uh, for the same applications, we should really be testing it at the harvest point, which for us is once you fail it. Um, so anyways, back to the team, though, you're absolutely right. You know, hopefully dad and I are humble enough um, to understand we've got a lot of blind spots and and we want to fill those gaps and those weaknesses in our team. And I think we've done a great job of that. And fortunately, like we found people not only who uh, their skill set and their um, expertise fits our need, but their uh, mission alignment and their values are very similar to us. And uh, so we're just super thankful for them. Everyone, Trey's fantastic. He brings a huge part of our business um, when we come online with our fiber building that we're, we really lean on him and he's, he's taken it in stride and really championed that side of the business for us. Greg has been awesome about being able to, to market our business and, and our story um, in a way that dad and I would have never known how to do. Um, and we just continue to add people. I've been fortunate to bring some um, good friends of mine from Illinois to help start up the operations people that are family to me that, you know, continue to support us not only um, in the business, but in life. You know, I'm getting married in a few weeks and um, I'm really thankful to be able to say, you know, all of our employees will, will be there and, and feel like they're part of the family. So Fort Benton, I think, has been great to recognize the opportunity that's here. You know, we're, we're building a hemp campus that hopefully is um, kind of a, a, a poster child of what could be in so many other places of the U.S., and not only for the hemp industry is this great, but also for other small rural communities that, you know, have really lost that luster of agriculture and value added processing um, and seeing that it, it could happen. And uh, because of the logistical issues that we have, you know, like hemp fiber, for example, it's you have to get a bale to the facility and there's a, you know, a distance that that no longer makes economical sense. And so that's a, a you know problem in the supply chain that's going to always be there. And so it makes more and more sense to have processing more local to growers where you can make that you know higher valued product that then you can then ship out to either other processors or end consumers. Um, and so we hope that you know if we continue to keep our head down and kind of fine tune what we're doing here and advocate for the right things um, and absolutely you know keep keep ourselves um, aligned with what our original mission was in creating those jobs and creating those opportunities that there isn't any reason that we shouldn't be able to take this to other places as well. So, And we certainly hope that that happens all over because the reality is to d deliver on the hemp promise, a real economy of scale and really making it economically commercially viable for everyone as we'll be seeing these processing facilities for oil, seed and fiber within really, I think, between 50 and 100 square miles of that biomass feedstock. And ultimately, that's what it's going to take to make it work. But it starts by putting one foot in front of the other and building them. And it is just incredible to see this uh, go up. So many questions that I, I want to ask, but uh, I also want to make sure we tell the listeners so. What is it that you do in your oilseed processing facility? What raw materials do you make? And what raw materials uh, will we be making in the fiber processing facility um, and to feed? And certainly we want, ultimately, you'll be doing raw materials that will go into multiple industries. But right now, we've only got a few. We're building. So tell us, what will these 
processing facilities create? Yeah, thanks for that prompt. Um, so at our, our oil seeds facility, we bring in raw grain from the farm. Um, we have some on-site storage. And so a lot of times we have guys for about a month to two months, depending on, on our rate of that, we'll um, have on-site storage for that. And then we clean that grain and it either goes to our dehulling line or hulling line where we make hemp hearts and hemp holes. Uh, and, which is a fantastic- and let's just take one moment, as it were, to tell our listeners that hulls are shells. We call them hulls in the hemp world. And what's interesting, and tell me what you think about this, Miss Morgan, when we just have the heart, meaning the shell has come off, we call that both hulled. And sometimes we call it de-hold. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I just wanted to take a moment when we say hull and de-hold that we mean shell. That's the shell. And you're taking the shells off in that beautiful, creamy, delicious, nutrient, protein-filled, dense, nutty-flavored heart is what's left. Yeah, our, our young industry definitely has some lexicon that we're still working through. So that's good to take a moment and, and educate listeners too. Um, which, so that's a, that's a food grade facility. Everything that leaves our, our facility um, can go straight to the consumer. Uh, so hearts and holes are come off one end. And then the other side, we rerun through a cold press expeller. And so there we're squeezing out the oil. Um, it's the most delicious oil. It has a wonderful nutty flavor. Um, and then our co-products are a, a protein stream, which is about 50% protein. And then a lower protein stream that we call um, hemp plus 30 uh, which is a higher fiber content um, uh, powdered material. So a lot of times you hear it called hemp flour, F-L-O-U-R. And, and so uh, it goes through some, some sifting and some sizing equipment. You know, that's something in the industry that's continuing to evolve as well as we look at um, plant-based proteins. And uh, there's a lot of future there as well, whether it's the green protein or, you know, something similar to like what Victory does, where they um, take hemp parts and make a protein out of it. Um, I think that you're really going to see the hemp industry grow into that plant-based protein um, is one of the largest food ingredient um, sectors that's growing at, you know, uh, 10 to 15% increments. It's just huge. So we're really excited to be a part of that. Um, I am an advocate personally. I feel like for forever, like there's definitely a space for being fully vertically integrated from farm to table, but at the size that we're trying to make an impact and that we're trying to process, you know, we're 30 to 50,000 acres at a time, you know, there's a lot of pieces that have to, to happen to make that to make that be successful. And so what we kind of have evolved into is we really want to do our portion of the supply chain and we want to do it really well. And we want to support other businesses like a victory or a hemp texture or other companies uh, that do their part of the supply chain really well so that successfully we can penetrate the market and, and deliver a wonderful hemp you know, product, whether it's a finished food or finished building material um, to the customer. And that's a lot for one business to take on. And honestly, you know, I love the idea of more businesses being able to be supported and for us to grow together. Like we, there's a lot of pie out there. We all should get a piece of it and, and share in that glory. And so our oil seeds facility also does feed products. And so I've been really active on the Hemp Feed Coalition and, and have a personal passion for getting these ingredients approved and into feed um, feed additives. So we're talking horses, dogs, cows, chickens. Um, and unfortunately, they're just it's hev more heavily regulated than food products are. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and so as the regulations continue to um, come along and we educate, you know, the regulators and FDA, CBM and more research is done. I think hemp meal or the plus 30 product, especially in the hulls, you'll see a, a huge um, growth in that sector as well as the feed. So, 
Absolutely. And and certainly when we had Weston on, uh, spoke quite a bit about the companion animal feed carve out amazing, you know, permission that is just within the borders of the state of Montana. Of course, thanks so much to IND who spearheaded uh, that piece of legislation and, and got, you know, the legislators interested. And as you say, uh, you've got just tremendous support there. It, it wasn't that hard. You, you not only you have U.S. Senator John Tester, uh, you know, cheering you on and advocating for you, as well as, of course, uh, your own state legislators and your own Department of Ag. So that companion animal feed, and we speak a lot on this show about this just incredible process between AFCO and the FDA Center for Veterinary Medicine. You know, we have Hunter on. We always trying to get uh, attention to the Hemp Feed Coalition. It's just tremendous that we don't have a single hemp ingredient for a single species yet approved. Uh, But in the great state of Montana, Big Sky Montana, of course, you've got companion animal feed, cats, dogs, horses, presumably because we do not eat them. And so Montana uh, got that through just tremendous stuff. And, And, you know, I'm often reminded of conversation I once had with Jace um, Calloway, who's just a dear friend and and somebody I admire so much for decades now of Fanola. Um, And I remember him saying, you know, folks wanting to just be so tight about their hemp idea or their hemp stuff. And he's like, my God, we're all just going to go wailing for the rest of our lives. Just go out there and wailing and stop worrying about all of this. You know, am I going to open source it or protect my idea for heaven's sake? And that's another area that I just think IND um, is doing such great, uh, such a wonderful job. And again, the summit, uh, the exclusive list, only because you could only have so many folks, but of invitees, of course, did not include other hemp processors, other hemp uh, oilseed processors, and just so, so grateful um, for all of that uh, invitations. Now let's talk a little bit about what the fiber processing facility is going to create and and where your sort of immediate market is, given the nascent uh, state of these emerging industries and where you hope to go from there. Yeah, so um, we knew we were going to be in fiber you know, um, from the beginning just because from day one, even when dad was just doing little plots um, up in, in Wolf Point area, people are like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do with this straw that's left over? Like you said, longest, strongest fiber you want to run a, a no drill crop, you know, drill through it. Like it's, it's going to give your, your farm equipment some, some trouble. So uh, we knew we were going to be in it, but we didn't know we were going to be at this size until we just kind of were at the right place at the right time and got connected um, with Trey and, and um, had some other opportunities there. And so we purchased a, a five ton an hour LaRoche decortication line. Um, Cause back to that same idea, there's a lot of different t- decortication technologies out there, but um, we landed with this one cause you know, really to, process at the scale and the size and that you need. These are tried and true um, industry leaders in that in that technology. Um, and so we will be taking both residual straw from our grain um, from our grain fields and then we also have fiber purpose grown crops going in this year um, that we'll be harvesting and so we're going through that that harvesting and redding and then um, baling practices this this fall actually so we're really excited about that. Um, and so those those bales will come in. We'll assess them, um, you know, about your, your moisture and, and weed control and things like that to allow them into the facility. And then at at the site, we'll be able to separate and get off the the clean herd 
and the clean fiber product. Um, we'll also be able to size our herd so we can look at those really small particles into like biocomposites and other the great um, opportunities that you listed earlier. And, and so we're really um, going to learn a lot this year. I think that we similarly learned so much about how many agricultural inputs and variables affect the seed and then the, the subsequent ingredients that we make at the oil seeds. We expect we'll see something very similar on the fiber side. So anything from, you know, planting density and, and um, irrigation or dry land applications to redding time and and uh, equipment that's used for, for harvesting and baling and whatnot. So we have a lot to learn on the quality side of the fiber, but like you said, we gotta just put one foot in front of the other and we gotta get running and, and get going. So the, the markets that are the easiest to penetrate right now that I think there's a huge demand, you know, hemp herd, pretty much anyone knows that, you know, everyone's looking for it. You get, I think we, we started up a little pilot um, plant this past summer. And we sent out, I think a half dozen samples and every sample came back with, when can I get a truckload? And we weren't anywhere close to being able to, to process a truckload. So that the hemp herd, I think, definitely has a home, whether it's pet bedding or um, we do have some biocomposite customers that are, are ready to go. Um, and, and the hempcrete uh, and building materials is definitely another one that's eager for us to get online. We cannot get enough of it. And, and you know, the the herd being the inner woody core of that long, strong stalk, as opposed to the bast, that outer bark fiber, which is incredible for textiles and and also has its own construction applications. I, Someone who's been obsessed with hempcrete for a number of years and very involved in hempcrete, I've seen some interesting things with the bast fiber, but it is that herd as an aggregate for construction infill, and in fact, as an aggregate for all kinds of building material. So I see that animal bedding and uh, and the and the aggregate for building materials, and particularly hempcrete, as just being like process it, sister. We need it bad. Yeah, it's it's definitely a huge demand. One of the the uh, partners that we have that I'm really excited to, to talk about share. Uh, it's actually a foundation called the Well Done Foundation, and so. They use our hemp herd and, and as an aggregate in their concrete mix, and they're plugging orphaned wells. And so um, there's a lot of people that don't know that there's a lot of abandoned oil wells out there that are ex you know, exhausting methane gases. And so this foundation was created um, actually by a gentleman here in Montana, and he just has a fantastic vision. Um, he comes from the oil and gas industry. His name is Curtis Shuck. And he was able to use some of our, our herd product to um, to substitute some of the other aggregate in the concrete and, and plug a well. And so that's just another thing that we're excited to be a part of. Um, but I think that you'll see the, the herd continue to develop. You'll find as these the specifications continue to get you know, redefined and distilled down to what they are, you're, you're absolutely right. You're going to see a, a breadth of industries and markets um, implode from that. So. Just incredible. And for the regular listeners, the the weaving of episodes that they can see here, because guess who was my most recent interview before you? Mark Mersman oh, nice. of Offset Energy Partners. So we got to speak of Curtis and, and I. And do you come up oh so frequently, Miss <laughs> Morgan? Oh so frequently. Um, and that's what happens when you're taking the lead on, you know, fiber. I have been an oil seed and fiber girl for over 30 years, an oil, seed, and fiber 
hemp girl. And, you know, hemp extract and CBD and cannabinoids, they sort of hit us all like a ton of bricks six or seven years ago, blindside. And and thank goodness for them. It's gotten so many people interested. It's gotten such a huge audience of folks who, you know, might be interested in hearing about how it's going to make products better and it's better for the land and it creates a better yield and it's going to be better for the farmer. They're interested. But man, when you help somebody, you know, um, have a restful night's sleep who hasn't had one in a while or relieve someone's shoulder pain that they've been dealing with for 10 years. Now they're listening. And so they, they are listening to that as well. Having said that, I'm an oil seed and fiber hemp girl. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, and, and so it's really the, the planetary healing aspects of this plant that inspired me from the get-go in the spring of 1990. And so when we talk about, you know, taking basically all of the needs that human beings and animals have for shelter and all of these other things and being able to satisfy them with this fast-growing plant that helps build the soil uh, when proper agronomic practices are applied, et cetera. Um, and again, that creates that higher yield uh, that helps, as you say, you know, deepen the ability for plants to get access to water, particularly as we are getting into this massive water shortage. You know, it's major for me. And so uh, it's just incredible to see these things happening and to to know that we are going to be able to depend on IND and everyone who duplicates um, IND to be able to get these raw materials and move forward with these these manufacturing practices. Yeah, and I'll say, um, you know, I forgot to kind of answer the other half of the question of, you know, what do we do with that fiber? And, and along the lines of the excitement of people understanding and see it, you know, our sales and marketing team was out this past week in Raleigh at the Tech Textile um, trade show. And, and we got called out as one of like the up and coming exciting things because everyone is looking for natural fibers. Everyone knows it. You know, there's, there's efforts being pushed from multiple car companies that are pushing down to um, their tier one and tier two suppliers. And so they're looking um, eagerly at volumes and scales that, you know, really can make an impact. And so um, I, I'm fortunate to say that they, you know, they take us seriously now, right? Not saying that there weren't other players and, and other people who were doing fantastic things in the you know the many years leading up to this, but I feel like we're just at a at the precipice of a time frame where where industry leaders outside of hemp, right, outside of even agriculture, are now looking to us um, as leaders and opportunities, and so that's really exciting to see. You know, not just herd, but the the vast fiber that you talk about, non woven applications, car parts. Um, so many of these initiatives that are being pushed from a very high level down of incorporating, you know, non-petroleum-based products and, and hemp fibers fit that um, that mold in a lot of instances. So I think the industry is ripe for what's coming, and it's just important for us to continue to to make the right decisions and continue to to try and, and lead ethically and morally. You know, everything from the contracts and the relationships that I have with my farmers and making sure I do right by them to the interactions I have like with other processors and other people in the industry, like at the summit, you know, that's important that we are intentional about those relationships so that when we do get to the size of these other industries, that um, we're still continuing to, to have those good business practices and, and um, morals and codes. So, 
So, and values. And man, I have met your dad and I have met you and you are not going to vibe with the Elliots if you are not sharing those values. Let's just <laughs> put it that way, people. Um, and let's talk about that for a moment in terms of when we talk about timing, IND being right on time. Now, bear in mind, of course, the, the legal status has been a tremendous uh, impediment and uh, certainly the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill, removing hemp from the shackles and complete displaced where it was within the Controlled Substances Act and allowing it to just take its place again in the broad light of day with all of these other agricultural uh, commodities. The reality is that there have been folks like 30 years ago, you know, so many folks who have, have lost their life savings, their parents' life savings, their 401k, their investment because they were too early. And yet it took all of us doing all of those things to get us to where we are now. And and so it's interesting to hear you talk about, of course, thank goodness, you're at these other trade shows in these other industries. And it's for many years now, for decades, it's sort of been like hemp people talking to hemp people. And we've needed each other. And we in many ways still do. And at the same time, now that the legal shackles have been removed and it is go time, hemp is on like Donkey Kong, preaching to the choir uh, when we have limited bandwidth for travel, uh, we have limited budgets for marketing. I mean, nobody has an unlimited budget. There are some, but let's we're dealing with mortals in the real world here. We don't have unlimited budgets or time. So we have to, where can we make the biggest impact to deliver on our mission? And it's no longer necessarily hemp talking to hemp. So you are like many other uh, hemp companies branching out beyond the hemp conference scene into these other uh, industries. Tell us a little bit about that, what that journey's like for you. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, um, a sad moment at, at a time too, because that you're totally right. It took all of us to get here. No one gets to hold the crown and say like, we got across the finish line. It took everyone to get where we are. And there's still, there's still a road ahead of us by, by no means have we unfortunately cleared everything, but I think we, we have marathon has just begun. Yeah. But we have a lot of really good momentum right now. So I think that it's, it's really exciting and I hopefully is encouraging to the whole industry that many companies are feeling this kind of change in trajectory of, of where are we spending our resources um, we're no longer penetrating necessarily an advocacy and education pathway only, but now we're able to actually talk about marketing and sales at a level um, that, you know, really sustains these businesses. Um, and it's not just a, an advoca advocacy effort um, that someone's having to, to shoe the bill for that. Um, and so we personally, you know, are where we're kind of focusing our efforts. We were at a, a pet food show earlier this year, laying some groundwork for when, when more states come online to approve that. Um, like I said, we were at Tech Textile and going to non-woven and other applications and composite shows um, and food shows, right? Really making sure that we have a presence in these, these uh, larger food ingredient shows. So I, I'm a big, big fan of, of hemp hearts, hemp milk. You know, I think there's a lot of we talked about the hemp protein that's that's has a huge future above it. So we need people to start looking the Campbell soups, the Kellogg's. We need them to start looking at us as an ingredient supplier too. And so having a presence at those food shows, we have to get up to standards. You know, we're going through SQF certification right now, and that is a huge undertaking. Um, and so we, as an industry, just have to continue to meet the standards that we can compete with the not only the Canadians, but I got to be able to compete with chia seeds and I got to be able to compete with all these other ingredients that are going into cereals and nutrition bars and things like that. So it's great to see the momentum and the trajectory change. 
Um, like I said, it's going to definitely be a little, uh, I think we'll always have a presence of some sort, you know, I think the Southern Hemp Expo is coming up and my dad's going out there and it'll always be good to come back and, and get reinvigorated by your fellow hemp friends, um, and, and industry partners. But, uh, I think that there's a time when that, that will, uh, just not have as large of a role in our, in our business. So. No, absolutely. And and by the way, I will be moderating your father's panel at Southern Hemp Expo. Oh, I'm good. so excited about that, um, along with a few others. May I ask you, too, as we sort of come to the end of our time together, and I and it's not necessarily IND-focused, but you'd mentioned something earlier, and I just want to make sure that we can educate the listeners. You do such a tremendous job. You're so articulate with the education. When we talked about hot crops, and most of my listeners know what we mean when, when I say hot crops, hot meaning it has exceeded – and that, this is what I want you to uh, elaborate on for the listeners – Generally, when we say hot crops, we mean that the crop has exceeded 0.3% delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, which is an intoxicating component of hemp. And now it is no longer hemp. It is now marijuana uh, because in the field it is above 0.3. Having said that, we have the uh, final USDA rule that was that – was, um, finalized. It was in that crazy interim state forever and ever. And it had a negligence value. So while the definition for hemp is zero, is, is that it, this is a plant of cannabis sativa L, which always makes me crazy because I always, I wish that it would just say genus cannabis and here in Washington state it does. Um, but plant cannabis sativa L, whether growing or not, that does not contain including all of its stuff that does not contain greater than 0.3% Delta 9 THC. But We've got this 1% issue. Could you elaborate for, on that for the listeners? I just didn't want listeners to think we'd magically gotten a 1% definition in the field yet, which, of course, we're working towards. So tell us what you were referring to, ma'am. Yeah, I apologize for that. And I'll, I'll just speak to the Montana policy because that's the only one I really know um, well. Perfect. And, and Montana wouldn't be allowed to have that policy if the feds didn't allow them because you can have a, a more strict policy than the USDA. You just can't have a less strict. So what Montana is doing, is what the USDA allows them to do in this respect. So it's perfect. And I'm so glad you brought it up. Don't you dare apologize. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to educate. Well, and, uh, the long and short version of it, essentially for listeners, like like Joy said, you know, 0.3% is where we're saying you, you're not growing hemp anymore. And fortunately um, for the State Department of Ag, they allow growers up to 1%, right? That that's a crop that's kind of in that gray zone that they're not going to, 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 to ding their permit on. And after that 1%, that's when they, they have a violation of their license. And you only get three strikes before you're out kind of thing. And, um, and so that's where a lot of our growers, you know, they're, we, we, most of our grain crops are nowhere even close to that 0.3%, right? We're not even non-detectable limits. But these fiber crops, um, and there's just, that's how the plant grows. These are the organic compounds that are, are naturally occurring. They um, are not limiting THC. Does that mean that we can go out to a fiber crop and roll up a joint and have a good time? No, that's not happening either. Um, but unfortunately, that's just the limits that the USDA has put on us. And that's where our definition is right now. So we'll play by the rules. Um, but what I alluded to is what Montana is doing. And, and they're they're in kind of the, the testing phase right now to prove that this philosophy makes sense. And so they came out and they tested our fields for fiber um, two weeks before they harvested. And many of our crops, you know, we, we grew um, several Chinese varieties, Jinma, Yuma, and um, several of those came back at higher than 1% THC. 
And so um, at current definitions, right, that grower would have get, got a ding on his permit and, um, and he would have to destroy that crop. But we're also fortunate that the state of Montana considers decortication a method of destruction. And so for our growers' sake, they, they're going to do the same thing they were going to do. They're going to lay the, the field down. They're going to let it go through its redding process. And then once it's at the redding um, stage and moisture, they're going to bail it up. And so what the state's going to do this year is they did take that test before where they see what the THC was like 1.1%. And then they're going to come back right before we bail it. And so that, that material has been left on the ground. A lot of the leaves and everything else has, has dried down and has fallen off. And they're going to go again and take another uh, test and sample it and see what the THC comes back for. What I suspect is that they're going to see very negligible amounts of THC. Those cannabinoids are and um, those trichomes are going to be essentially demolished, right? Or, or soaked it back into the ground because they're um, very delicate, fragile, you know, material. And so what's great is if the state can can prove that um, with data and support it back to USDA, along with their method of destruction using decortication, now hopefully growers, fiber growers that are specifically doing it for, for fiber production and using those genetics that yield high yields for those fields, we're talking, you know, 15 feet tall um, hemp plants, that they'll be able to, to go into their, their harvest season without ever having to worry about it. And hopefully, eventually, we won't even have to test anymore because we'll know that if they're laying it down, they're redding it and bailing it, there's not going to be the THC there that, that we're concerned about. So I am certain that over time, all of that hysteria around THC will eventually abate and that hopefully we'll be just testing and giving a crap based on the purpose that we are growing. So if we are growing it for fiber, who cares? If we are growing it for grain, who cares? If we're growing it for cannabinoids and extract, maybe now we care or or maybe for grain we do. Although having said that, we all know the trichromes are really only on the bracts of the seed. Oh my God. But now let me ask you um, a question as I think the farmers, or I'm sorry, the listeners may be thinking. So, so they don't have to destroy the crop if it goes above 0.3. Uh, in, we're, and we're talking Montana. Every state is different. God help us what Idaho is going to come up with. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but because they're drafting right now, they were the 50th state to finally say, OK, let's pass a law that you can put a legal hemp seed in the ground. And and God bless them that they did. And now they're, of course, working on on the rules. So they'll probably come up with something hardly as farmer friendly as Montana or, or hemp crop emerging industry friendly as Montana. Um, so as we say, but when it went above point one point, one point zero, first of all, a farmer's worrying about getting a license on their ding where a ding on their license. We're not even talking about, do I have to destroy the crop yet? Are you going to ding my license? Uh, cause, cause if I get it dinged a certain amount of times, I I'm out and that's on a federal and a state level. The USDA is working with the state departments of ag in that respect and the tribes. But in terms of the ability to harvest it, what we're saying, because in many states, 0.3, you're about, you're not even going to be able to harvest that. Like you're done. If the second test comes in and it's still above 0.3, destroy that crop, either through composting, plowing it under, burning it, God forbid. So, but it's, but Montana has something far more unique. And that is that it, it's not that, I, I guess I'm using the term harvest, but laying it down does not mean harvest. It means laying it down. Yeah, and, and the department is still working on, on how that language like really needs to, to sound because there's there's multiple ways that we can look at it and how it's interpreted. 
But you're right. The, the point is harvest should be when we're taking the crop off the field. And, and, and so it doesn't even happen when you, you cut it, whether it's with a disc vine or a sickle bar. The harvest is when that biomass, that material is removed from that field. And that's when, you know, the state worries about whatever that product is, whether it's going to a processor or a consumer, that's when they should be concerned about what is, you know, what's the level of THC in that plant. And so if you have that interpretation and looking at it through that lens, then really harvest doesn't happen until after that material has been rutted. And so that's why I think it's such a forward thinking, you know, um, philosophy to consider. And, um, and really, this is so important for insurance, too. We were on the phone with, you know, insurance underwriters the other day. For them to understand, you know, they're basically every policy that's out there right now that applies to hemp right now, you go above 0.3, like no go, right? Your policy is completely void. And the likelihood of you losing a crop after you lay it down may not be as high, but you still should have the security of your insurance policy. Um, <clears throat> God forbid a fire comes through or a tornado or something and you lose all of that, you know, that you know, valuable biomass that's been laid down. Um, and your insurance no longer covers it because it has a higher THC percentage, which really makes no sense. And so that's why it's so important, not just for these growers, that they have the security of their license, of, of working with the state, but they from, from banking and insurance, they need to know that they're working with a crop that everyone considers, you know, just like flax or, or any other or cotton, right? We don't have to worry about any of those things. So like you mentioned, I think there will be a point when like the hysteria of this of this plant will really be behind us. And I think grain and fiber will have, um, will get there sooner than cannabinoids just because it's really simple. There's a line of delineation, whether it's the harvesting type or the genetics we're using, um, that we have historical data to support that that hysteria doesn't need to be there. Um, but this is just a, a huge step in the right direction from one state that hopefully, you know, it's communicated up to the USDA and they, they trust that as well. I, I'm just sitting here because when there is just such exquisite knowledge, exquisite way to articulate that knowledge, um, exquisite action backing up that knowledge and that inspiration, it moves me tremendously. And we're just so lucky that the Elliott family came to hemp, Miss Morgan. Um, when we talk about industrial leaders who take on, you're sitting here talking about banking and insurance for the growers. You are talking about, you've changed the law, a massive, massive historical undertaking to get this companion animal feed for hemp grain um, in your state. Uh, all of these things, you go above and beyond. The Elliott family goes above and beyond in every way to really try to, uh, and not just try, to accomplish filling in all of the Blanks, connecting the dots. I just cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my hemp and heart for everything that you do. I can't wait to have you folks back on again. And Miss Morgan, before we say goodbye, is there a question I didn't ask or a message that you may want to leave the listeners with? Uh, well, I'm so flattered, Joy. Thank you. It just almost makes me emotional to think, you know, a, a lot of hard work and a lot of um, a lot of time that, you know, um, sometimes goes unnoticed. So I, I really appreciate that. And um, I really, we can't be here without the people that were around and um, you're part of that. You're part of that family. And, and so I'm just very moved that you're um, so appreciative of, of what we're doing. And, and we hope that we can replicate this and, and infect more and we'll have more than 26 employees in a few days and, and hopefully we'll have hundreds and, and thousands in the, the years to come. But um, hopefully your listeners are, are encouraged that the industry is moving forward. Um, it's not just us. There's a lot of great people doing a lot of fantastic things the technology, the infrastructure, it's coming along. There's people recognizing 
the industry, us, the collective us here and um, taking us seriously. So hopefully everyone's really encouraged that we're seeing some, some really hard work finally, uh, you know, uh, produce good fruit. So. Oh, so fantastic. You will please send my love to the Elliott family, to your whole team. Can't wait for our next encounter. Thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Barons today, Morgan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.